Good morning, Brookside. How are you today? It's great to see you. Yeah, great to have you here today. Hey, I just want to say um, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here, and I'm just so excited to have you here worshiping with us. And if you're a guest here with us, special welcome to you as well. Uh, we're in a very special time in the life of our church. Um, as you might know, today we are in part four of a four-part series that's really launching us into a three-year initiative as a church, initiative that we've called Immeasurably More for the, for the City. And I'm super excited about this weekend. This is our Commitment Sunday, the weekend that we've really been leading up to as we say, Lord, we're seeking you to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine in, in our city. And I just have to tell you, church, before I kind of jump into things this morning, um, that it's been an absolute blast these last several weeks uh, to track with you and to hear a lot of your excitement and your, your feedback. And, um, you know, the, the last time that we were in an initiative like this, um, Steve and I were co-leading at that time. And so this is the first time that I've ever been uh, leading one of these. And I just have to say thank you. And I'll share a little bit more um, uh, later in the message about just some of the enthusiasm around all of this. But a huge thank you, church. It's a privilege, honestly, for us to be able to say, Lord, we want to see the kingdom of God continue to advance in our city in some really big ways. So, so thank you. Our, our theme uh, verses uh, for this series, I want to take us back to them again. Uh, it starts in verse 20 uh, of Ephesians chapter 3. So hopefully you're getting these deeply into your heart and into your mind. It says, now to him who is able, let me ask you this question right away. Uh, do you ever feel like maybe God isn't able? You ever go through a time in your life where you just wonder, God, are you able? God, can you do what maybe I don't think you can do? Maybe you have a relationship in your life where you're just saying, God, I don't know if you can, but I really need you to come through. I love these verses because right away it says, now to him who is able, and so it gives us confidence right away, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And the thing that we've been saying throughout this series is this. We want to be the kind of church that we're saying, Lord, would you do immeasurably more? Lord, would you do more than we can grasp, more than we can ask, more than we can imagine, immeasurably more, more than we can even measure? You know, I think about the history of our church. Um, there have been some immeasurably more moments. I think about the immeasurably more prayers that must have been prayed throughout our church's history. Think clear back to 1981 when this church was planted, 38 years ago. Think about that. There was a small group of people, they were in a living room, and I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to have heard them praying those prayers. Lord, would you do immeasurably more? God, would you stir in our hearts so that we would care about our city so much, God, that we would see you do things beyond what we even could ask or imagine? Uh, that group grew. Imagine the day and the prayers that they prayed when they moved into Will Catholic Elementary School, and they began to meet there, and, you know, I just picture them, they're, they're hauling in the chairs, in and out, and they're setting up, and they're tearing down, and, but there's no doubt about it, they were praying this prayer, God, would you do immeasurably more? God, would you do immeasurably more in our, our lives? And they had the same situations and challenges that you and I face on the personal front, but on the church front as well, they were saying, God, more. And then they moved into a storefront. And you know what? They were still praying those prayers, and they were seeing God do immeasurably more. And then from the storefront to another location, and, and then ultimately they built, got this property and, and built the hub upstairs, that original part of our building, that, the, the sanctuary up there where our middle school and high school meets. And when they moved into that, there's no doubt that the, right away they said, God, would you do immeasurably more? God, would you do immeasurably more? 
And as they began to see that group continue to grow, then this whole expansion and this room that we're sitting in right now, surely that was on the backs of people that were praying, Lord, do immeasurably more. Lord, we can't do it, but you can. God, would you do immeasurably more? And then I remember this part of the life of our church. I remember the time, I remember sitting in the board meeting when one of the guys spoke up and said, hey, what if we challenged the church in one year to pay off all of the church's debt? At that time, it was just about a million dollars worth of debt. And I remember that was an immeasurably more statement, and it was an immeasurably more prayer than we, we began to pray, and sure enough, it happened. I remember the weekend that was an immeasurably more weekend. We talked to all of you. We said, you know what? We have an opportunity to help some kids in, in rural Zambia. We can build them an orphanage. These are kids that their parents have died, and we can provide for them not only clothing and shelter and food, but we can provide the message of the gospel to them each and every day. And so we laid that before you, church, and we said, our goal, could we raise $20,000 in just one weekend? We won't talk about it forever, but just one weekend. And I remember that next weekend, we came back to you, and we said, church, way to go. You raised five times what we asked for, which allowed us then to be able to think about their education and all sorts of other things. That was an immeasurably more moment. I think of the immeasurably more moment as we worked with kids in the foster care system through these camps. And we began to understand, wow, and I didn't know this. I didn't know that there's over 3,000 kids in the foster care system in our city. I had no idea these kids that get moved around from house to house to house. And we began to pray immeasurably more, Lord. Lord, would you allow us to build something, that care center, where we could provide a practical need that might just lead to a very spiritual need in their lives. And we're seeing that happen. Just 18 months ago, that thing began. It served over 1,200 kids. Think about that. That's immeasurably, immeasurably more. And today is a huge day for us as a church because we're waiting on God once again and we're saying, God, God, by your grace, would you do immeasurably more? God, we want to see the next chapter written and we want it to be so beautiful and we want it to be marked by more than we could ask, more than we can imagine. You know, I think of Isaiah 26, verse 8. I've been thinking about this verse a lot these days because I think this is where we're at as a church. It says this, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. That's what we're doing today. We're just waiting on God. We wait for you. This is the desire, though. Your name and your renown is the desire of our hearts. That's our posture. God, your name and your renown are the desires of our hearts. So what I want to do today is this. I want to retrace our steps where we've been in this series. I want to take you back to week one, then we're going to go two, then we'll go to week three, and then finally we'll finish up with our text for week four. But I want to take you back to the beginning because our journey these last three weeks have been so important and they really set up where we end up today. In week, in week number one, so make sure you're with me. Say week one with me. Week one. Okay, half of us. Let's get a little bit more. Say week one with me. That's better. Good job. Okay, in week one, we asked a very important question. We said, why? Why do we do what we do as a church? Why does Brookside Church exist? Why do we gather each week? Why is it that if you're a Christian, there was a time in your life when you had certain goals and aspirations and certain things that motivated you and got you out of the bed in the morning, but when you came to know Christ, those things changed. Your motivations changed. The things, your desires of your hearts changed after God got a hold of your life. Why? Why do we do what we do as a local church? What compels us? What's the thing that moves us? We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, turn there now. Look with me at verse 14. It's a beautiful passage, and the Apostle Paul, he captures it so well. He says, hey, this should be the heart behind everything that you do, local church. This should motivate us. This should move us. This is our why. Verse 14. He says, for Christ's love, it compels us. 
It moves us. It motivates us. It leads us. And then it says, because we are convinced. So it's not just like empty religion. No, no, no. There's conviction here. For we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, this is important, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, we don't any longer see people as just people. We look at people now and we say, Lord, would you break our hearts for the things that break the heart of God? And we see people now and we look at them completely different. We say all people matter to God and all people will spend eternity somewhere. And so that moves our hearts. And then he says, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And this is from God who, and this is so powerful, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, now you and I get to be a part. So if you've been reconciled to God, if you were once distant from God, and maybe that's even where you're at right now today, Jesus Christ came so that you could be reconciled to God. And if you're a Christ follower, then our job now is to say, wow, we are reconcilers. We get to be a part of that. Notice, though, the motivation of it all. Christ's love, it compels us. Have you ever noticed that what compels someone says a whole lot about them? Ask yourself the question, and we did this in week one. We said, what moves you? Like, what makes you angry? What brings you so much joy? What really fires you up? What compels you? You know, as we, look at these next, as we look at these next three years, we have two projects before us, and we're saying together as a church family, we're saying we want to be on this journey together, and we want Christ's love to compel us. When we found out about this property in Elkhorn, we knew, okay, we have a lot of people that live in Elkhorn. This could be a strategic move for the gospel, and so it compels us to say, wow, we want to have another campus where the gospel, where the teachings of the scriptures can be crystal clear to people in a part of our city that's rapidly growing, compelled by the gospel. We also look at a part of our population that's growing exponentially. It's the only category that's growing exponentially. And we're saying, Lord, we want to get on the front end of that. And Lord, could we provide right here on this campus, upstairs, a bilingual service, a service where someone could hear the gospel in their heart language, but right along with their children in the next generation. That's our dream, but it's compelled by the gospel. It's compelled by the gospel. That bilingual service, I want to show you a video that I think explains the need behind it so well. So yeah, take a look. Mi nombre es Manuel Ovalle, tengo 45 años, tengo una familia de cuatro niños, vivo en Omaha por los últimos 22 años, he estado viniendo a Brookside por los últimos cinco años y estoy contento. Brookside, what, what I was searching was for a home, and I had 
been praying to God and telling God, you know, I need to find somewhere that's going to feed my kids spiritually. When we first attended, we came on Sundays, I decided to bring the kids. They came and they were in love. And afterwards, every Sunday and every Wednesday, my kids were up and ready to go. And then I started to feel for myself a presence of God, a presence of the Holy Spirit in my life that I hadn't felt since I was young. It was for me a definite sign that God had provided my plan. When I came to church, I was scary uh, because I don't know their language. I don't know nobody. But when I get in there, I feel fine. I feel comfortable. And then I like it. I have my Bible, English and Spanish, and I read in Spanish course. And then after that, I read them in English. But I understand more because I've I already read it in Spanish. Mama started to discover that if he had the opportunity to go back and just replay a few times the sermons and re-listen, that that just gave him a lot of clarity and a lot of understanding. And then we had more discussion about what does that mean for you? How do you see that moving in your life? How does that move in our family's life? Or are we just going to change some way that we want to speak that into our kids? When all my family came to church together, I don't know, I feel more than emotional. I'm so proud of it because we came as a family to sure to, to know about God. It's the most important because my kids know about Jesus. When I told my friends I'm attending a roadside church, they want to come, but when I say uh, it's only in English, I, I think they feel sad. For the first time in my life, I really know that Brookside's heart is for the people. I feel the Holy Spirit is strong through that church. And I know that there's a lot to be done in the Spanish culture. And I have a pastor to give God to them. And so I know that God placed my family at Brookside for a reason. If we have a bilingual service, I think it's going to be the best because I have a, a lot of friends who want to come to the church, but they don't speak English. They are kids, they speak English, and the parents speak Spanish. They can understand everything in Spanish, and the kids can understand everything in English. Brookside has the perfect opportunity to open that accessibility to these people that do speak Spanish. Even though you can share the story of salvation, everybody wants to have a feel where they can come together and congregate. Jesus tells us to go out and spread the good news. He didn't say what language, he didn't say what culture. So I feel like Brookside is looking to be a blessing and trust and believe it will be. So fun. What a privilege, church. Compelled by the gospel, right? Compelled by the gospel. Lord, how can we reach more people? I was with a group of pastors just this week, and they're asking about this initiative, and I said, these are the two things we're trying to get off the ground, and, and one of them just piped up and said, oh, that, that bilingual service is such a felt need in our city. Um, we just applauded that. Um, also, in week, week number one, you might remember this, we got to launch our correctional center campus down at the Douglas County Jail. And again, everybody, why do we do that? Because we want to be a church that's compelled by the gospel. And so we're praying. Please keep praying for unit number seven. 
Um, I talked to one of our volunteers after last service. He said, oh, I got the video. And you know what? They're, he's going, they're doing church today, 3 o'clock, 2 to 3. And uh, what an awesome thing that we get to do. Again, why, though? Because we want to be compelled by the gospel. What a joy. Okay, now let's move on. Week 2. Say week 2 with me. Week 2. Oh, you're doing better. Ah, good job. All right, week 2, we went from this. We said we were going to go from now the why, but now we're going to talk about the how. We're going to go from, okay, why are we doing what we long to do as a church and what we sense God's leading us to do to, okay, how are we going to accomplish it? Very practically, what does that look like? I gave you a disclaimer in week two that actually applies to our entire series, particularly if you're a guest here with us. I said this in week two. I said, we're going to have a kitchen-level conversation for these four weeks. And what I meant by that was this. If I come knocking on your door and I'm selling something maybe and you open the front door and you allow me to come into the foyer of your home and we have a conversation there, that conversation is only going to be about this deep, right? But let's say I'm a friend of yours and then you invite me into your home and, and now we get to sit in the living room together. That conversation goes up a couple levels, doesn't it? But if I'm invited to the kitchen table and if I sit at your kitchen table long enough, you might even consider me as family because the kitchen table is where the family meets. It's a family. It's a kitchen table level conversation. It's where you make decisions. It's where you decide where you're going. It's where you decide can we afford to go where we want to go, all of those kinds of things. And what we said in week two was this, hey, church, we're going to take a time out. We're going to do this not very often. We won't do this again for another at least three years. But we said these four weeks are a kitchen table conversation. And we're talking about, okay, what's our direction and how very practically are we going to get there? And so weeks two and three, we talked about generosity. We looked at 2 Corinthians. You can turn there now. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and we set the stage by saying this, that Jesus Christ doesn't need anything from us. Jesus Christ doesn't look at anything that we have and go, oh, I need that from you. But instead, Jesus Christ longs for a whole lot of things for us. Not from us that he needs, but he longs for us to have things. He longs for us to, to, for certain things to be true of us. And so Jesus talked about money and our possessions all the time. So often in the scriptures we see this. And so we said very plainly, we said, hey, we're not going to shy away from this subject because, again, God doesn't want anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us, but he longs for some things for us. Us. He doesn't want our stuff or our money to have bondage over us. And so we looked in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we said, if you want to have a mentor in generosity, you should go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because there's this beautiful story of this group of churches called the Macedonian churches. And what they did is they modeled generosity. And we said this in week two, we said they lived beyond themselves. They were the kind of people that they said, I want my life to outlive me. Someday I want to look back and, and I want to have left a legacy, a spiritual legacy, something that will impact the eternity of people's lives. So look with me at verse 2. It says this, in the midst of a very severe trial, so this is what's going on in the Macedonian's life, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Think about that. So they've got, they've got extreme trial, and we know this, they were being persecuted for their faith. They're also very poor. Economically, it's a hard time. But in the midst of that, welled up rich generosity. Doesn't make sense, does it? Verse 3, Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their, their own. They urgently pleaded with us. Those are important three words. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, we've got to stop there and say, why did they plead? 
Why was it that they were so moved in their heart to say, hey, we know that we're poor and we know that we're persecuted, but we see what God's doing out and about and we're pleading with you. Can we be involved? Can we be engaged? What does it look like? Oh, we long to do not just that. Oh, can we do more? It's so countercultural. They weren't saying, oh, this is, my life's just about me and building my little kingdom. No, these Macedonians were saying, how can we be a part? They were begging. They were pleading for the opportunity. It says they gave themselves then, it says, oh, sorry, verse 5. And it says that they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Now, know this. That was their source. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, not to a three-year initiative. No. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and out of their being in the Lord, they longed to be a part of the Lord's work. Like when they had experienced the grace of God, it motivated them to want to be a part of the work of God. And so they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Look now at verse 7. Paul says this to the Corinthians now, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in the grace of giving. Notice that it says the grace of giving. It's, I, I, think it's make, I, I think this is a way to describe it that's accurate to the scriptures. The grace of giving means this. It's when you live in the posture, Deuteronomy 8.18, all my stuff comes from the Lord. Like when you look at your bank account, don't think, look at me, I am so good, I earned that. No, Deuteronomy 8.18, my ability comes from the Lord. The grace of giving, the grace that they're living in is this posture. Everything I have that's good comes from the Lord. It's a gift from him. And so it's not a, a posture of, okay, all that I have, it's a posture of how do I steward all that, Lord, you've given to me. Look now at, at uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is where we went next. Everybody say week three with me. Verse 6, Paul comes right out of the gate, and you know he's, he's really serious. It's what my mom used to say before I'd get out of the car. If she had something to say about character or something long-term, she'd say, remember this. That's what Paul starts off with. He wants them to know, remember this. This is really important. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, he says, and, and he again, he's going right back to generosity because the, the apostle Paul knows this. In the Corinthian church, just like in our church and in any other church, he knows that, hey, either your stuff is going to have a grip on you or you're going to have a grip on your stuff and you're going to use it for kingdom purposes. Paul knew that'd be true of these people. And so he talks about it. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And that week we busted out the old uh, fertilizer spreader from the dart house. And, and, uh, and we said this, you know what you do with the, one of these, the seed thing. You, you put the seed in here and uh, you fill it up and you try to figure out how big your yard is and all that. But then once you start to push this around, you've got one question in your mind. And that question is this, how much seed do you want to sow? And so we asked that question because you don't just push this around. You've got you to gotta turn the dial. And if you turn it to a one and then you open this up, you, you let out about three seeds for every 9,000 feet that you walk and you won't reap anything. But if you crank this thing all the way to a 10 and you decide, you know what, I want to sow a lot of seed. That's the kind of sower I want to be. And you hit the thing and you just keep walking and walking. We, we said this, the apostle Paul is saying, if you'll sow generously, like if you'll not be a one, but if you'll be a 10, you're also going to reap generously. If you'll plant a lot of seed, you're going to see a whole lot of kingdom growth around you. He says, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And I think that's important. He's saying, don't just 
it's not just, you know, casual. He's saying this is like through prayer and through planning. You decide what you're going to give in your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, he says. No begging, no gimmicks, nothing like that. No guilt. Not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He's talking about the posture. It's so important. And then he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Look at verse 9. As it is written, he says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. So in other words, they were a 10. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. They were like, wow, we want to sow a lot because we want to reap a lot. And look what happened. And their righteousness, it says, endures for." ever. And we said this, when you invest in the things of God, you're investing in eternal things. And there are a whole lot of things that you and I can invest in, but when we choose to invest in some kingdom things with our lives, we're, we're, we're investing in things that will endure forever. Verse 10. Now it says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of uh, the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God blesses those who are generous. Jeff, are you saying, if I'm a 10 on the dial of generosity to God's work, that when I go home and open the garage, I'll find a brand new Tesla? We said, no, that'd be nice though. Wouldn't it be cool? But we did say this, if you and I choose to sow generously, we do know this, we will reap generously. We will reap things that will well outlive us. Verse 11, you will be enriched, he says, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Other people are going to thank God for your generosity. If you're a 10, you're going to have a whole lot of people that say, oh, I thank God that they were so generous. Have you ever had someone be so generous to you and you just couldn't wait to thank them? You couldn't wait to look them right in the eye and just say, wow, or you watched them be generous and you watched it have an impact on the lives of people and you said to them, you just impacted a whole lot of people's lives because of your generosity. Look at verse 13. It says, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, other people are going to draw near to God because of that. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So we want to be the kind of people we said in that week, we said, wow, we don't want to be a one. Lord, help us to be a ten. Help us to sow a lot of seed in the places where we could have a lot of impact as a church and as people. And then we got to week four. Everybody say week four. Here we are. First Corinthians chapter three. Flip back there if you would now. In week, in week four, we come to this text today that is really important. As we lay these two initiatives before the Lord, this is such a good reminder that we get out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's this reminder that everything that we're asking God to do, it's on the shoulders of God. The Apostle Paul in this passage is going to speak very strongly to a group of people. And he's speaking so strongly to them because they were putting way too much stock, way too much uh, allegiance to, way too much admiration even maybe to their leaders. They were thinking, okay, my leaders are the ones that are doing all this. And they were putting way too much dependence even on them. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Our dependence in any seed that we sow, if we want to see that seed grow, that's going to have to happen through God. 
We get to be a part of planting it. We get to be a part of watering it, but it's God that's going to be the one that makes it grow. Look at, look at verse 1. He, he really brings the heat to them. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. You can say, ouch there. Verse 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Verse 4. He's saying you're no different. Verse 4. For one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? Are, are you not mere human beings? Verse 5. He asks him a question. He says, what after all is Apollos? And what after all is, is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. Verse 6, I planted the seed, Paul says. Apollos watered it, but it is God who makes it grow. He's saying, don't put Apollos up on a pedestal. Don't put me up on a pedestal. Don't put Brookside Church up on a pedestal because that's not where the growth is coming from. The growth is dependent on God. We have a value around here on our staff. We say boldly dependent is one of our values. And what we mean by that is we want to be taking enough ground as a church that it continues to put us in that zone of, God, if you don't come through, this won't work. God, we are so dependent on you because, Lord, you're the one that makes things grow. Verse 7, so Paul says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God. When we seek to move things forward, church, Brookside, we have to remember this this morning. This morning is a pivotal morning in the history of our church. But we have to have this reminder, it is only God who will make things grow. Everything we're trying to do, it is all about God. It is all because of him. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the, water, and the one who waters have one purpose, that's us, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor, verse 9, for we are co-workers in God's service. We get to partner with him is what that means. Like, God, though he makes things grow, and he's the one that does that, he says, hey, I give you the ministry of reconciliation. I give you, if you've been reconciled to Christ, now I'm saying to you, you're a co-worker with me. You are God's field. You are God's building. This passage is so important to us because it reminds us, everyone, we are so dependent on God. We live in a culture that says you can be dependent on yourself. You can figure it out your own way. You'll be better off on your own. And this passage screams against that and says, no, no, no. We are dependent on God. We have some very big goals for the next chapter in the life of our church. But we are absolutely 100% saying, God, we need you. Only you can make it grow. You know, I was reminded this passage came to life for me. I was reminded of this, this uh, kid that was in our youth ministry years ago. His name is Chad. And I was meeting with him this week, and he told me that I could share his story. Uh, Chad was the kid that got brought to Brookside by another family. He told me, he said, we used to sit right over here in this area, and they would bring him each week. And, and eventually he felt comfortable enough. He went and started going to our youth ministries and went on a few trips. And I remember Chad as a student. Well, Chad then, you know, had a, he had a rough, rough family life and ended up kind of just hopping around house to house his senior year. So then he goes off to the Air Force. He's in the Air Force. He gets discharged from the Air Force, uh, gets into cocaine, all sorts of other things, really is hitting rock bottom. Gets out of the Air Force then. God, though, has given this, this young man an entrepreneurial spirit. So he starts not one business. He starts six businesses, and he's doing well. 
But he said during that time in his life, he noticed that the more money he had, the more expensive drugs that he could buy. And it just led to a downward spiral for him. He overdosed. He said, I found myself in the hospital with a breathing tube, and that wasn't the bottom for me. He got out. He got a DUI. He got on probation. And that was kind of, that was kind of the end for him. Fast forward from that point, little space in his life, to March 16th, just two months ago. Now Chad's in his upper 20s. And he said, I hadn't walked through the doors of a church in 10 years. But on the night of March 16th, he said, I'm, I'm, I woke up and I had had a dream that night. And my dream was that I was walking through the doors of this church again. And so I saw him after church. And so he's telling me about this. He said, I woke up this morning at 1030. And I looked at my clock. And, and then I looked at my phone. And I, I figured out when uh, Brookside Second Service was because the, the dream was so compelling to me. He said, I just have to go. And so he showed up here, and this is the beautiful part, and this is what makes me, reminds me, it's only God who makes things grow, because he said to me then, he said, and Jeff, you came out on stage, and man, you're my old youth pastor, I didn't even know you still worked here, that's cool, and then he said, and all you talked about this morning was people drawing back to God, and I knew that he hadn't heard me, because that morning, and I went back to make sure, that morning, I spoke from James chapter 5, and if you read the first chunk in James chapter 5, it's a very strong warning against people who are oppressing the poor. It has nothing to do with drawing back to God, frankly. <laughs> but you know what? God put a dream in the mind of Chad, and Chad showed up to this place, and God spoke to Chad, not the preacher boy up here. God spoke to him, and God began to work in his heart and in his life. He goes to church then, he just starts coming. He said, man, I'm back. He comes to Easter service. You remember Easter? We had two doors. One was life, one was death. And we just said, man, figure out your eternity. Are you going down the path of life or are you going down the path of death? He said, I, that morning he said, I chose life. And then look what he did after that, after he chose life. Let me just show you this quick little video here. It's just a clip right out of the sermon. And here's what I want you to hear, church. Chad gets baptized on Easter Sunday. But you know what impresses me the most? It was God who made it grow, right? It was God who touched Chad's life. But also know this. When God touched Chad's life, do you know what Chad found? He found a church that was open that morning. He found a church, and he said this, from the parking lot to the service to when he left, this place was up and running, and it was running well, and God spoke to him in this place. Gang, for the next three years with these two projects, we're saying, God, compelled by the gospel, will you help us create more seats for Chad's in different parts of our city, reaching different parts and people groups even in our city? God, would you make things grow? God, would you do more than we could ask or imagine? But we have this thing in our mind that we have to go back to this morning on a defining moment in the history of our church. We have to proclaim this morning, God, it's only by your goodness. God, you will speak to people however you want to speak to them. God, we can do a whole lot, but at the end of the day, if you don't build the house, we labor in vain. And so, Lord, what we're saying is, God, would you do a great work? We're waiting on you for that. You know, this was the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. Our theme verses, again, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Then verse 21, this is so important. Paul says to him, not to me. Paul says to him, not to the church. Paul says to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're asking God, God, would you do some only God stories in our midst? 
God, would you do only God stories in the jail? God, would you do only God stories upstairs? God, in the lives of the next generation, would you continue to write a story where we look back and we say, immeasurably more, immeasurably more. Brookside, we have an opportunity this morning to say, Lord, we want to join you in doing something that could very likely outlive our, our own impact, the impact of our own lives. You know that Elkhorn campus, everybody? It's an absolute God thing. That just fell on our laps. And we just happened to be able to pay cash for that because we had set aside money, almost the exact amount. I mean, it's a God story. The fact that we are able to launch this bilingual service, the Mark Thingball's on our staff, and we're able to take good ground with that now. The fact that we already know Juan Santos is our pastor for that because we've had relationships with him. We look at those things and we say, God, only you. God, now would you make these things grow? And so this morning, church, I want to ask you a very pointed question. Would you come on this journey? I told you at the beginning, I've just been so encouraged as people have, um, you know, talked about this initiative and as we've um, begin to prepare for it. We want to do this as a church. We don't want to ask you to go anywhere that the leadership of this church isn't willing to go first. And that speaks of my own family as well. And so as an and really as a way to say, let's set the tone together as the leadership of our church. We asked our staff, and we asked our elder board, and we asked some of the other leaders in our church. We said, hey, would you lead the way? And this is so encouraging, such a blessing. That group alone has already pledged $1.3 million. In addition to that, there's a, a person in our church who believes deeply in the mission of our church and the things that we're trying and we're seeking God to accomplish. They said, oh, I'll match part, parts of those pledges. So we're now over a million and a half towards our goal. Think about that, church. It's so encouraging, but not just the dollar amount, but you know what encourages me is the level of participation. But even beyond that, it's the spirit of the participants. Because you know what's marking them? Willingness, generosity, and joy. It's easy to prioritize things in this world that are screaming the loudest. But it takes some serious Mental prioritization and some serious heart checks to say, I'm going to prioritize the things of God, and I am so encouraged by what's happening already in this, in this whole thing that we're trying to accomplish. And so what I want to ask you this morning is this, would you go on the journey with us? We've got that Elkhorn campus, but would you help us get it remodeled? Uh, we're all, you know, we're, we've got a pastor hired for this bilingual service, but we need to raise some funds for that as well. Those are the two things that we're seeking to accomplish. You've got all the information here in your brochure. And I'm just asking you this morning, would you come on the journey? We've had two goals as we've been in this initiative. The first goal was this. Very practically, we need to raise this, these monies to do these things. But our second goal was this. We wanted to see everyone go on the journey. Everyone. The reason why we wanted to see everyone go on the journey is so that everybody can be a part of the celebration. Imagine if you go on a family vacation and one of your family members doesn't come. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, that might be bad, too bad. Right? <laughs> after you confess that to the Lord, right? No, I'm just kidding. But think about this. After you go on a family vacation, six months later, you're telling the stories about what happened on vacation. One year later, you're saying, do you remember when? Do you remember when? Years later. In October, we pray that we're into this Elkhorn campus, and we're going to begin to tell stories about life change, how God's working in the hearts and the lives of people, and we want, our second goal is that every single person to some degree would say, I'm in, I want to be on that train. I was talking to my oldest son last night, and I said, 
He's 13. I said, boy, I, I hope you'll get involved in this. And I don't hope that he gets involved in this because we need a 13-year-old's extra money. Though I will say mowing lawns pays a whole lot better now than it did when I was a kid, right? But do you know why I want my 13-year-old on this? It's because when I drive in the car past that campus, I want to say, hey, you're a part of that. Let me tell you a story about so-and-so and how their lives being changed. I want him to be on the journey. We want everyone to take this trip. 38 years ago, there was a small group of people, and they dreamed, and they prayed, and they said, God, would you do immeasurably more? And now, church, we're at a defining moment in our history, and we're saying, God, this next chapter, immeasurably more. God, would you do more than we can ask or imagine? And we are saying to you, Lord, this morning, it's only through you. You are the only one that can do it, so we wait for you. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to give you some logistics, okay? Let me pray. I want to pray Psalm 115, verse 1. I think this captures the heartbeat of that, that passage we looked at just now. It says this, and so, Lord, this is our prayer. Lord, not to us. Not to us, Lord, but to your name be the glory because of your love and because of your faithfulness. Not to us, Lord, to your name be the glory. And so, Lord, we even say right now as we prepare for this, we say, Lord, would everyone come on the journey? Lord, would everyone say, I want to be a part, I want my life to outlive me. Lord, that's our cry this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.